Well, good morning and welcome on this Sunday morning. It's good to have you with us here today as we get started this morning. There's a few things that uh, we're going to cover here at the beginning and just a way of some announcements and things as uh, we get underway here today as we've got people still making their way in. Uh, we'll take the opportunity. We are going to be observing the communion a little bit later on in the service uh, towards the end and our ushers, uh, excuse me, our deacons are going to be distributing those uh, uh, towards the, the time of the actual communion. However, if you are here and uh, uh, gluten is not your friend, uh, if that is something that uh, has uh, become a problem in your life digestively, uh, we have gluten-free elements that are available in the foyer, and uh, there's a box there that has those, and you can feel free at any time uh, to go grab one of those uh, for you if that is something that would help you to be able to engage and to uh, participate with us even this morning. I'm going to ask Sandy to come, and she is going to uh, share with us several other announcements, and then I'll come back up and we'll take a moment to pray and gather our hearts here together. Come ahead, Sandy. Good morning. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. A um, couple announcements today. Uh, first, starting off telling you about our Awana Grand Prix. This is our annual event um, for our Awana kids, and it's taking place next Saturday at Morris Hill Gymnasium. Um, and I'd like to invite our church family to come to this event if you're free at that time. It's a great way to support our kids. It's a lot of fun. Um, and we also have the Alaska teams are doing um, concessions during it. So it's a great way to support that as well. So you are invited. The race starts at 4 p.m. And um, if you're participating in the race, we need you there by 3.30 because car check-in starts then, race starts at 4. So if you're in the race, be there at 3.30, please. Um, this afternoon, Paul Snyder is going to be available here to cut cars um, if you still need to do that. He'll be here from 3 to 5.30. Please come in the fellowship hall. Um, those doors will be open then and we'll be there to greet you and help you with that. Um, and and um, just bring your cars with you. If you still need cars, we have plenty, um, and we'll have those available both this morning by the kids' check-in area as well as this afternoon um, with the car cutting. Um, another exciting event coming up that we want to highlight for our ladies is the Dare for More conference the following weekend, March 1st to 2nd. Reba Bowman will be the main speaker at this event, and she has such a passion for the gospel for helping women at risk across the world find hope and a better way of life. This will be a wonderful time of fellowship and worship, and there will be breakout sessions, brunch, and a world market. They're beginning... They're bringing the conference back to Chattanooga area this year, and we would love to get a group of our ladies together to attend, along with many of our Grace and Espanol ladies who have already signed up. Scan the QR code in your bulletin for more information or register online. And lastly, we want to remind you once again about our online directory, Shelby Next. Pam and Laura will be available after the service again in the back of the auditorium for those who need any help logging in, updating their information, or taking a photo. For parents that have tried to upload pictures for their children but you've not been able to do so, please make sure that you're logged into the primary account holder's account to make those changes. This is usually the husband's account. Thank you again for taking the time to update your information. It will be a great help to our church body. Thank you, Sandy. I appreciate that. A lot of things are in your bulletin. You'll notice several other details, so make sure that you take a moment, look at that, 
and uh, especially on our website as well. There's other information there and Facebook page and lots of ways that we try to communicate to you uh, in these days. There's several that uh, we're praying for and uh, just want to remind us of these and you'll notice them especially there in your bulletin, uh, different ones that are going through some different different uh, seasons of life, challenges, physical as well as uh, just the uh, things that are happening in their extended families. And uh, so just keep in prayer uh, for these, uh, thinking about uh, those who are in places of recovery. One praise is that we got word that Robert Malone's uh, tumor that they had been concerned about and had been treating is, as of this moment, they can't find it. Isn't that a praise? Amen. And uh, what a good thing that God is doing. That's right. Let's rejoice in that. Praise the Lord. You know, it's, it's neat to hear how God does still answer prayer. And that doesn't mean he's out of the woods. There's a lot of other things that uh, Robert's been uh, dealing with physically, but uh, this has been a real testimony of God's grace in this moment. And uh, so let's continue to pray uh, that the Lord will continue to give him strength and healing. And then also that uh, I continue to pray for Mary Beth Hall and pray for you. And, and uh, her mother passed away just this weekend as well. And then also uh, pray for my family, uh, my wife and her family. Uh, my father-in-law passed away yesterday as well. So uh, lots of things hitting us as a uh, church family. And uh, so just ask the Lord to give us strength in these days and uh, just remember these as we go through them. Why don't we stand together and we're going to open the word of prayer and encourage our hearts in the comfort that is his to give and also ours to receive and not that we are stubborn and that we are resisting, but that we are appreciative of how God takes us through those valleys, those dark places at times, and just magnifies the beauty and the splendor of who he is and the grandeur of his light and power and ability to walk with us. And so we remember these that are hurting, those that are suffering, those that have a big hole left in their existence, and just encourage our hearts in the goodness of our God. Father, we're grateful for this morning and just grateful for who you are as the God that you are. And Lord, we rejoice in your presence. We rejoice in your reality. Lord, we take great comfort in knowing that you are God. And Lord, that in our existence, we are not left to ourselves. We're not abandoned. We're not left destitute without answers. Lord, this life is hard. And the understanding is that the, the fruit of rebellion, the, the consequence of Adam's sin, Lord, we are the byproducts, the, the heritage, the legacy of that frustration, that anger, or that rebellion. Lord, I pray that as we appreciate the gospel and the good news that there is a God who did not leave us in that condition, but came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Lord, we find in you our sufficiency, our hope, our healing. Lord, we know that eternity brings so much greater reward. And yet in this lifetime, we're grateful for those little blessings, those little moments where we see you do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could even ask or think. And so Lord, we rejoice in you. Lord, we pray for those who are going through loss. And Lord, those within our church family who have suffered loss in the last few months, Lord, let's pray that you'd bring continued healing and health and Lord, a sense of purpose and a sense of understanding of life. I pray for those who are continuing to recover and I pray, Lord, that you'll bless them with strength and I pray, Lord, that you'll just give to us in this day what we need. 
And Lord, now as we gather here as your people, we come into this place, we unite our hearts. Lord, we take what we have been learning about you all week long and the expressions of worship and adoration as they come forth in our lips, as we share with one another, as we embrace one another, as we comfort one another. Lord, we pray that you would be our our hope and our rejoicing today. So may you be praised. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor. As Pastor said, we're celebrating the Lord's table in a few minutes. And the songs we're singing this morning are songs of redemption, of salvation, of hope. Uh, the, The second verse of the song, praise him, praise him, says, he is our rock, our hope of eternal salvation. And we're grateful for that hope that we have in Christ. Praise him, praise him. Into order, who makes the orphan a 
son and daughter, the King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of its brilliance, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace.
today and are grateful for salvation. We sang about the hope that we have for eternal life. And we can't express that thankfulness, the grateful heart of what we owe to you. We, we can't pay it back. And we're thankful that we don't have to. We're thankful for your love and grace in our lives. And thank you that you saved us. God, give us what we need from your word today and strengthen Adam as he speaks. For it's in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Before we get started, there's something I, I'd like to do. I meant to do a little bit early in the service, but I'm gonna ask Mike if you would. Mike Swanson, come up here for just a minute. And uh, there he is, all right. Uh, Mike is 15 years. Yeah, he, no, he's 63, but I'm saying 15 years of service here. Yes, yes. Right. And uh, we try every, at least every five years of, of ministry life uh, to recognize those who are a part of our ministry team. And so Mike is celebrating his 15th year of official ministry, been part of Grace. He's, you said you're 63 years old in, in about what, you know, how many years have you? 42 years he's been connected with Grace but uh, has been serving on staff for the last 15 years. And I, we just want to give him a special recognition and thank him for his service. So. Appreciate you. Love you. Love you. Uh, 
Thank you. Uh, there are all of the staff that we have here are, uh, boy, I didn't think I'd be this emotional, I'm sorry. Mm. Uh, very grateful for the team that uh, I get the joy of working with and uh, their support to me personally, but also the love they have for you as a church. And uh, Mike is truly uh, a, a right arm kind of guy and uh, just so grateful for him. And, and of course, we know he would be nothing without Joan. So really, she should have gotten, she should have been up here, you know. That's right. We're back in the thought in John. Go to John chapter 10. Come and see. And this book, uh, for all that it comprises and what it offers, uh, everything about it is at its heart designed by John to truly impress upon his readers, this is God. He came. He dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. This is something of the impression that John wants us to understand, that everything that we could read of him and see of him and his existence was not one simply as another good man or even just as a prophet, that, that Jesus elevated is so much greater, so much more. It's, it's, in my mind, it's the gospel version of what the book of Hebrews is about. You take Moses and you take the law and you take angels and you do all that, but Jesus is so much greater. And John has been writing now in these several chapters that we've been reading. And what's interesting is that where we are, we'll come into chapter 11 and really chapter 11 is kind of the capstone of Jesus's earthly ministry. And he spends then the rest of the book talking about a period of time that really is just a few days and just even hours. And so a lot of where we're leading to is setting the tone and setting the stage for what will be truly the Passion Week of Christ. The week that he will be in many ways making very plain and culminating everything to raise the, the heightened sense of animosity by the religious the sense of confusion by those who are standing in this area between these worlds of the old and the expression of Moses and then what they're hearing about this Jesus and where he's leading them. And then there'll be those who truly get it. And it's, it's an amazing culmination as you read through the rest of this book. And so we come to chapter 10 and we read what John has to write here. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter in by the door into the sheep, fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. And to him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. You know, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. And this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were, which he had been saying to them. And so Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. And for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father, a division occurred among, again among the Jews because of these words, and many of them were saying, he has a demon. He's insane. Why do you listen to him? And others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of a blind, can he? And at that time of the feast, the dedication took place in Jerusalem. And it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? And the Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man make yourself out to be a god. And Jesus answered them, has it not been written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father and do not, do not believe me, but if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. And therefore they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing and he was staying there. And many came to him. And we're saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. 
many believed in him there. Father, use your word this morning. And Lord, in all of our hearts, as we humbly open these pages and we appreciate that you have instructed us to read your word, to know it. And Lord, for that unbelieving heart that's here this morning, I pray that you would so grip them with the reality of your presence and who you are. And for that one who is claiming to be your child, Lord, give them the boldness to understand in all confrontation of their heart what it truly means to be defined by that statement as a believer. Lord, what are we? Lord, I pray that you'll guide us into truth and let your word be the truth that we listen to. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning I'd like to talk about a model. And it's interesting. One of the unique things about the Gospel of John is how much it is shaped by an understanding more of the resurrection. And it's not to say that the other Gospel writers did not understand or emphasize the power of the resurrection. But John seems to steer his book more and more to point out a post-cross existence. As if like everything about what Jesus is saying is to emphasize not just to those who are in a pre-cross before he dies to point them to a cross as a serpent lifted in the wilderness kind of existence, but that everything about that then is leading us then to understand that there is a life that is to be lived after Christ comes back out of the grave. And in that same authority and with that same power and with that same understanding of who Jesus is, how does that radically impact and change the way you live today? So what are you now that Christ is alive? And that death, the death that he died has washed you clean of your sins. In chapter 10, we're confronted with a truth statement. In fact, there's not just one, there's two of them. Truly, truly, or verily, verily, as the old King James used to put it. It's the understanding that this is a truth statement. What I'm doing is I'm about to tell you a truth statement. You need to listen. He also holds his audience very much accountable to the truth. In verse 25, he tells them this. He says, you know, he, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. That's, that was chapter 9. Sorry, back, I got to hear. He says, I told you and you do not believe. It's, it's like, I've already told you the truth, and the struggle is, is that you're not willing to take in what I've told you to be true. He does the same thing in verse 32, where he says, I showed you many good works. I've demonstrated the truth to you. Now you are on the obligation side to respond to this truth. And he does it again in verse 34, where he says, Jesus says, has it not been written in your law? In other words, what are you guiding your life by? If it is not the truth, then what is truth to you? Boy, what do we need in this day and age where truth is relative, right? So this chapter holds a lot more than what we're going to have time this morning to get into. And so I'm basically going to try to touch the surface on a few things, and it's going to be up to you to go back and discover more in this passage. And there is a lot in here and I hope that you'll take that time. This chapter is again a continuation of several of the elements that are coming out of chapter nine. It's a buildup. Chapter 11, where we're gonna find, is gonna be talking about the story of Lazarus, and, and that's where we end in chapter 10, is, is that he's on the other side of Jordan, 
And then you'll understand then why Thomas said, well, let's just go with them. We might as well die with him back there in Bethany, you know. Well, it's because they were getting ready to stone him. So you've got to keep in connection. You've got to marry this section. These are all building on one another. The biggest part that really 10 emphasizes is the part where Jesus is calling out the crowds. He's very popular. He's very well recognized. And so Jesus is now going to really confront these crowds as to, so why are you following me? What really does bring you to me? What is it you're looking for? And he doesn't pull any punches. He gets right to the point. Jesus is putting them into the press to squeeze their ideals and begin to separate them into the blind and the seeing. He's forcing them to recognize the basis of their belief system. Chapter 10 is about two models. And Jesus uses two illustrations to call them to see where they fit inside of the economy of God's plan for salvation. So where do you fit? Before we leave here this morning, you should know where you fit. In the camp of the blind or the camp of the seeing? In the ideals of your life and where you're building your existence and how you're establishing your purpose and your functionality of life, where do you fit? And so let's look at these models. The first is a model of leadership. And we find that in verses 1 through 10 where he talks about himself being the door. He doesn't do it very plainly in the first few verses. And really, you get to verse 6 and he talks about it as a figure of speech. Jesus is speaking and they don't get it. And so he takes verses 7 then to verses 10 and he makes it very plain. I am the door. I like how Gerald uh, Borchardt, he put it when he wrote, he says, the very word leadership is developed from the shepherd imagery, where the shepherd goes before the flock and encounters the problem of the flock first. He says that Jesus describes here in, in this passage what John is doing. Jesus is describing the two essential qualities of a true shepherd by looking at the way that the sheep respond to the shepherd. He notes there as well how Jesus takes time and, and he talks about the shepherd's position and where he positions himself in relationship to the sheep. There are some very practical things here that are expressed here that you know, there's a, a very important application that Christ is trying to draw the people to see. Look again at verse 6 of chapter 10. This figure of speech they didn't understand what things that were being said to them. And so, <clears throat> as he takes his teaching, the heart of the illustration, the model of verses 1 through 5, he explains it very clearly then in verses 7 through 10. And I want you to notice a couple of things about leadership here that he is talking about in regard to what it is that Jesus is saying, how he is truly a leader for the sheep. The first is this, that leadership is intimate. Go back to verse 2 here. He says, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. It's an understanding that what he is addressing here is that only the true shepherd could walk freely into the fold of the sheep. The true leadership does not sit separate 
from the people that are being led. In verse 5, he says that they know his voice. Sheep herding in the lands of Israel and the surrounding countries is very different from the ways of our Western culture. Here, we tend to use dogs and fences, and, you know, we, we tend to corral the sheep more, and, and it, there's a whole lot less intimacy involved. It's, it's more of a market-driven concept. Then it's not to say that sheep weren't market-driven in the, even in the, in the Eastern cultures, but in our Western way of dealing with them, we don't have the same personal affiliation with our herds like this. Now, that's not to say across the board, because I know that there are some farms where I I was, um, uh, when I was up in Wisconsin, we had a a family that had uh, some cattle and things like this, and so they had some children, and the thing about it was is that the children refused to name any of the cows that were going to be butchered. The only cows that got names were the ones that they were going to keep for milking, because they're going to keep them for a while. So they didn't give any Betsy's and Bippies and Donald's and Mac's and any other names to any of the animals unless those animals are going to hang around a while because they just kept getting their hearts broken every time. You know, they're taking, you know, poor little Johnny off to the market to be butchered, you know? And in that sense, though, we, we lose that understanding. But in their culture, in their day, and in the ways of Christ, the, the understanding is that these shepherds had a personal connection to their sheep. They are shepherded by a person who knows their flock. And not just that they have some mark or brand on them, but he knows their names. I've traveled into Scotland. We were traveling up into the highlands. And I remember driving along in this two-lane road up into the, it was in the wintertime and driving north into the highlands of Scotland. And I started noticing all these sheep and the sheep are just running around everywhere like crazy. And I started noticing that somebody had gotten loose with a paintball gun. There was a green dot on the back end of this sheep and a yellow dot on the back end of this sheep and there was a red dot on the back end of that sheep. And I'm talking to the guy who had grown up in the country and, and uh, what on earth is, I mean, these poor sheep are just like, is somebody out here like paintballing them? He says, no, that's, that's how the shepherds know the difference between whose flock is whose. They all these color schemes. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that to you? Wham! Okay, you're the red group, and wham! You're the green group. God knows your name. And the challenge of understanding this is, as Christ is modeling, this is the way that God leads. God leads us in a position of intimacy. In verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens as the shepherd, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. What Jesus is insinuating is that he knows those that are a part of his flock. It is not just in some herd mindset or because these are the ones that are sitting in some church, on some church pew, in some town, or in some village, and under some sign that says, well, I guess I'm a part of God's sheepfold. He knows those that are his by name. And why is that so important? 
You see, for the Jews, it was not about simply being of the right ethnicity, married or born into the right family. Jesus is saying emphatically that this is about a personal relationship with the sheep. And a leader of that caliber, he walks with his sheep. He talks with his sheep. He goes with them into the wilderness. He leads them beside the still waters. He walks through the valleys of the shadows of death with his sheep. He is intimate with his sheep. But leadership is also more than just the intimate relationship. Second of all, leadership is protective. In the days of Jesus, the sheepfold or the pen is where the sheep would be gathered for the night. Had the opportunity to visit Bethlehem while I was over in Israel. And that city near Jerusalem is just riddled, the hill there is riddled with all these little caverns and caves. And the shepherds would use them as folds, as ways of bringing their sheep into these caverns. And there was usually one access point and they would blockade and they would protect. And it was in this place that the sheep would be then preserved from the howls of the wolves and the lurking creatures on the outside, or even from those that would be nefarious to the herd desiring to steal a sheep. Again, Borchard, he wrote, he says, the sheepfold was a place of security and not a place for intruders. And such a sheepfold would likely have been either a circular or a square enclosure, probably constructed like a high stone fence or wall and perhaps topped with vines. The entrance would have been the only break in the wall. And once the sheep were safely inside at night, the watchman or the guard, either a servant or the shepherd, would lie down across the opening and serve as both the protector for the sheep and as a gate to the sheepfold. And unless an intruder was willing to confront the watchman, the only way into that sheepfold was to attempt to climb the wall, which is interesting what he says here in verse 1. He does not enter in by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way. That is a thief and a robber. This is our protector. It's tied to our intimate relationship with the shepherd, with the savior of our soul. Again, in verses nine and 10 of this, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and he'll go in and he will go out and he will find pasture. And the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This passage is huge in providing to us the groundwork for our eternal security. Someone asked, how do you know that you can have eternal life? And how do you, how do I know where I will spend eternity? We'll look at verses 27 again and following. Notice what he says as he adds to this in a greater context. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. This is the intimate protective shepherd. He leads us. He walks this path beside us. He places himself into the path of all that would harm us. 
He is the door through which all then must enter. And when you think about your relationship with this Savior, have you ever entered in through who He is through the door to be a part of His sheepfold? Does it that understanding of reality hit you to know that this shepherd knows you? He knows your voice. And the beautiful thing is that now I'm a part of his family, part of his flock. I know his voice. And when he speaks, it brings in the comfort. And yet the beauty of that is, is this is my shepherd. As he brings me in for protection, he also leads me out. And it doesn't abandon me to my circumstances or abandon me to, my, to the surroundings of my existence. He goes with me. He is a leader that comes with me. He leads me. So let the diagnosis come. Let the loved one pass away. Let the difficulty at work and let the surrounding circumstances of other interpersonal relationships become troubled. It's not that God has abandoned. It's not that he has left you destitute. But the greater emphasis of this is less about what's going on here. It's about an understanding of what is in eternity. And that when we leave here, how do you know that you'll wake up in heaven? How do you know that eternity is settled for you? Truly, truly, I tell you, this is a truth statement. I am the door. Enter in through me. The leader of your soul is leading you to find where the real refuge is, and that's only through Jesus Christ. And so Christ models the aspect of where he is leading those that are willing to follow him in these first few verses. But there's another model in this passage that John brings to light. Not only the model of leadership, but second of all, the model of discipleship. Verses 14 through 18 again, he talks about this responsiveness. He says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He talks about this relationship of these other sheep that are in a different fold, and they'll have time to go into a lot of that. There's a lot of debate and a lot of speculation. I personally, this is just my take on it. I think he's referring here to the Gentile people. I think he's referring to those that aren't in this fold that is so obvious to those that are the Jewish culture there. I think he's referring to those that are over here and that God is going to bring them together in one. And I think that's what Paul picks up on the book of Ephesians. So that he's torn down the wall of enmity. He's removed that. We're all now one in Jesus Christ. And that's, that's just my personal take on that. I, I know there's a couple other good possible uh, explanations to that one, but I, I think that really to me satisfies what I see more fulfilled in the rest of what Scripture talks about. And so Jesus is referring to this idea here of this discipleship, this following, this placement, and he models this. I am the good shepherd. He goes from a description of being the door in that sense of that that physical presence and that attachment there of entrance and so forth. And now he brings himself out and very clearly and plainly states, he says, but I am the shepherd. He models for us the concept of true discipleship. The word good here speaks more to the idea of authenticity. I am the genuine shepherd. The disciple is one 
who follows the teaching of another. And so Jesus follows his father's commands and the direction of the father's will. This is the command that has been given to me. This is what I know that I have as my responsibility. Verse 18, this commandment I received from my father. Jesus is our shepherd and he models the nature of the father. Good in that self-giving, authentic nature. He loves and the son loves. This is the truth. Truly, truly, I am the good shepherd. There's an interesting expression that's found in verse 17. And in our English way of reading this, sometimes we get bogged down in some of the ways that our, our language implies the causative here. And there's some things to be said, but in this English way of looking at it, it makes it seem like the cause of the father's love is based upon the willingness of the son to lay down his life. And it's not really what the verse is trying to imply there. It, it's, it's almost like there should be a break for this reason. Okay, kind of almost tied back to an understanding of himself as that shepherd and for this voice that is there and what I'm trying to do. And for this reason, based upon the father's love, looking at this, therefore, more in the sense of because of, but because the father loves, the son lays down his life. It's an understanding more of Jesus looking to emulate and to model, to illustrate, to demonstrate, because Christ is the demonstration of the Father's love. And so the John 3 relationship where the the Father declares his love for the world, Jesus then becomes then the sufficiency of that statement by basically saying it is because of the Father's love, I am willing to lay down my life for the sheep. And the way that the son loves is laying down his life, but that's not how the story ends, that Jesus would then take it back again. And Jesus will live even after death has taken his life. And the model then is better explained in the next section. You go to verse 27. And he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I have listened to the Father's desires. I am here to demonstrate the Father's love. And now I'm asking those that express themselves to be believers of me to follow me. As I am following the will of the Father, I'm asking you to follow me. The model of discipleship. The Father loves the world. The son, because of the father's love, lays down his life for the world. He demonstrated this. Those who come through Jesus, through the door, are saying that they have believed in the sacrifice of Jesus for them, and they've entered in by that door into the sheepfold. And those who are in this sheepfold now belong to Jesus and to the father, and now we are to follow Jesus. We found our purpose. We found the source of that purpose is in the existence of the good shepherd. So what can we take away from all this? In these two models and what Jesus is doing to illustrate, I am the door and I am the good shepherd. The door is an illustration. It's a model of really understanding leadership, 
and how God in his design has led and he stands with his people. He is there with you. He is leading you to understand the path that you are to go. He didn't stand afar off and aloof. He didn't shout this from the, the, the ivory palaces of heaven. He did not stand there in some confrontation with some other way or medium. He chose to become part of the process and he sent his son, Jesus, to become part of what leads us to the Father. Which is interesting because we know that verse, John chapter 14, verse six, right? I am what? Tell me, the what? Say it out loud. I am the what? The way and the, and the, and no man can except through John 10. You're looking for way. You're looking for life. You want somebody to be honest with you and straight up tell you the truth? That's what Jesus did. Number one in the takeaway, define your relationship with Jesus. Define it. Would you say that your relationship with Jesus is based upon his intimate understanding of your eternal need? Is your confidence because of a belief in the personal attention that Jesus gave to meet your need for salvation? Are you trying to trust in anything other than just Jesus for your salvation? Are you still trying to gain access by some other way other than Jesus? I was raised in a preacher's home. I was raised an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James only, missionary-given, here we go, stand on the pulpit if we have to, type church. But none of that brought me any closer to God. It just made me more aware of Him. It's the relationship that only Jesus and I can have because of what He did and nothing to do with me. You need to be able to define your relationship with Jesus. Second of all, you need to define your direction in life. The intimacy of the Father's love to establish the demonstration of that love in the person of Jesus Christ for every single person on the planet establishes then a sense of purpose, a sense of direction. And that's what we refer to when we use words like discipleship. What guides you? Who are you following? What defines your existence? Do you identify as a sheep? Now that's dangerous in this culture, all right, isn't that right? We've got young people identifying as puppy dogs and kitty cats and birds and all kinds of stuff now, but that's not where I'm going with this, all right? At the same time, spiritually, in an illustrative manner, do you identify as a sheep? Your relationship with Jesus defines the way you will live. Do you see yourself as one who follows the good shepherd? Are you following Christ? What is your purpose? 
well, you know, I, I really want to get married. I want to have children. I want to have a job. I want to get this, this point. I want to be able to retire at age 55. I want to, you know. and then what? Well, you know, I want to be able to enjoy grandkids. And then what? Well, I, I want to watch them make a success of their life. And then what? I'll probably die. And then what? What will have defined your existence? Whose theories and philosophies of life will have been the guide of your life? Follow me. And if you are his sheep, you will follow him. Because you're going to be listening to his voice. You will know his voice. Jesus is our model. He demonstrated the love of the Father for us. And even though he laid down his life, he uses the same word that he will use at the end of most of the Gospels. All authority has been given to you in heaven and in earth. And the authority is mine. I will take my life back. Because in the living, we have the greatest opportunity to again demonstrate the love of the Father, and the self-giving nature of the Son. How do we demonstrate Christ? What do you love? And how are you living for Christ? Let's stand together for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'll let us follow your model, your example, your testimony. And Lord, in just a minute as we get ready to observe a cup and get ready to think about your sacrifice for us and how you gave yourself. Lord, I'm glad the story did not end there. You came back to life, and we're going to celebrate that in just a few weeks from now. And the culmination of the gospel is not about a dead God. It's about a living Savior. It's about the promise that we have to know that not only just the here and now, but eternity is settled And yes, I'm going to have hardship. I'm going to face difficulties. It's going to be hard in this life, but that's because you've come to save us from this life. Lord, I pray that we would not live with such feeble expectations, but that our lives would be filled with such wonderful fruitfulness of your existence in us. And Lord, for that life that's here this morning and they're still refusing to believe and to trust in you as their Savior, God, I pray that you would help them to realize more and more how much you so deeply love them. And Lord, for those of us who are your sheep, let us not take for granted the intimacy of how you lead in our lives and how you modeled even for us how we should follow because you have given to us life and purpose. You've given us salvation. Prepare our hearts to observe that in just a minute. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
gospel is where we will read our accounting of this event that happened this communion time as our men make ready they'll be distributing the elements to us here this morning and feel free to take one if you're willing to engage with us and participate and they'll be passing those out to us here as we make ready to prepare for observing the communion and thinking about what it is that Jesus has done for us as Fred has done a great job of reminding us this morning in song and thinking through these. 
In Matthew chapter 26, as the elements are coming, thinking about what Christ does here to initiate something that had been a part of their culture, a part of their existence ever since the great event of the Exodus to depart from and leave Egypt and go away and at its heart, redemption, buying back, bringing out of slavery and bondage and rescuing and delivering. It's, it's all of these themes that was part of the Passover uh, testimony, the Passover event. And he is here in this moment, this is all tied to the, the festival that has brought them to Jerusalem. Everything about this was this culmination event and Christ is just about ready to go to the cross and to suffer everything that John will lead us to. This is an what John chapters 13 really through, really all the way into 17 really, is going to cover what's discussed and talked about in greater detail. But this is that event. And he says in verse 26 of Matthew 26, and while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until the day in which I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You know, I always am amazed to think about because later in this same chapter, John verse 47, he talks about the betrayer, Judas would come. But Judas is sitting there. He's taken the bread. He's taken the cup. And that statement there, the understanding is, you know, drink from it, verse 27, all of you, even you, Judas, this confrontation all along in part of life, how Christ over and over again gave ample opportunity for people to truly see, to embrace, to know who he was. And to imagine here we are together in this place and to know that some of you may drink from this and you still refuse the compassion of the God who made you to redeem you, to save you but yet he still extends it. It's for all of you, forgiveness, and only some will accept it, but it's available. And we have a message, a beautiful message, of the compassion of a God who loves this world, your world, the place where you live each and every day. What a beautiful thing to share with others. As you take that element in your hand there and open the bottom there where that little piece of bread is, peel that little wafer out. And think about it, and this is all symbolic because this was, there's no merit here. There's no salvation here. Had nothing to do with the bread, had nothing to do with the wine in the cup. It had everything to do with the person that was giving them the instructions, saying, this is my body. No, this is not his body, this is a piece of bread. But what does it mean? 
This is what you're going to feel like to know and to understand and to illustrate what I'm getting ready to go do for you in just a few hours from now. I am going to give everything that you see for you. And my body will be broken. My body will be bruised and bloodied. It has nothing to do necessarily with how the visage was. It had everything to do with the brutality of sin. And the consequences of it demanded death. And our Lord died for us. Amen, church? And so here we are in this moment, and we hold this little piece of bread, and it's supposed to measure to the magnitude of that gift, incomparable. But in this little small way, as we take it into us, we're understanding what it really means to be part of Christ's sacrifice. Do you know Jesus as your personal intimate Savior. Take, eat. You sing with me. I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith, and be said he took a cup. Go ahead and prepare that, peel that cellophane off the top there. As we open that cup and as we think about it, the the color is symbolic of the redness of his blood. It's meant to illustrate what he was saying here. And he took this and this is my blood. This establishes a covenant between you and me. I will do my part. The only thing that is required of you is that you believe You just believe. Trust in what I am doing for you, and I will do the rest, and I will bring you into relationship with me and the Father. This is my agreement to you. That's what my blood will signify. To everyone who believes. And so we take this in our hand, and again we think about it. Without the shedding of blood, no forgiveness of sin, no remission, no removal of the debt. But because his blood was given as the perfect son of God, he did not die for sins and consequences of his own sin. He died there in our behalf, in our stead, in our place. He took it upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Aren't you glad of that? And now I can live in freedom. I can know that my sins are forgiven, both past, present, and future. He has become my redeemer. This is the cup. Drink you all of it. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood?
to depart as we take this truth with us. The truly, truly statement, this is true, what I'm telling you, cannot be altered by your opinion or the opinions of others. It's a fact. And so, Lord, we depart with something in hand, something that is in our life, something that is changing us day by day because of the power of the gospel, the good news, a relationship with a shepherd who intimately knows us and we know him and we grow day by day in fellowship and understanding and we follow him. And Lord, that leads us across the path of a lot of unsaved people out there in our world who need to hear and they need to see. They need a genuine, authentic telling of the genuineness of an authentic God. And so, Lord, may our lives and our lips match. May we live what we claim, and may we genuinely be followers of Christ. Speak to our hearts. Encourage us as we go. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's a fellowship that is awaiting us, a time together. We've gone a little bit longer today, but at the same time, I hope that you can enjoy that. There's a lost and found table, and there's a Shelby table. If you need help with either one of those things, you are dismissed. God bless you.